So I'm not the normal guy. My name's Scott, and uh, I am here today to bring the word to us, and uh, we're continuing in a series on First John and a few other epistles as well. Um, a little bit about me. Uh, the most important thing about me, I'm married to my wife, Natessa. We've got uh, 10 years uh, marriage coming up next year. And uh, we have three kids, ages six and under. Um, boy, it's uh, it's been a fun summer. I, there's some sarcasm in that. <laughs> they're they're just uh, giving us a run for our money. I got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And uh, man, school school will be good. School will be good. <laughs> So, and I guess as far as what do I do, I work at Inner City Transit. I'm a dial lift dispatcher for them. I don't know if you see those little dial lift vans around town. Uh, they're everywhere. And uh, I have a, a great job. I, I love my job. It's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm also the men's coordinator here. So, um, so yeah, I... I speak to men on Saturday morning, sometimes at breakfast, and I love it. And, uh, you know, it's a, a great privilege to be here today, you guys. And um, I'm not a professional at this, so bear with me. I'm sure I'll make a little, a few snafus. But, well, enough about me. Let's uh, not break tradition and stand and read our passage today together. Here we go. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, little children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right. Thank you. You guys can be seated. I'm going to pray now. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to open your word. This morning is all about you. It's all about um, your command to love each other. It's all about your command that you perfectly uh, embodied when you lived and you died and what you taught, Lord. I just pray that the word of God would um, enrich us today and 
Lord, help us to take action in the areas that we might recognize in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was preparing for our time together, I kind of saw three different ideas that John is talking about in the passage. And one is the command to love each other. Two is the description of a mature believer. Three is the command to not love the world. John kind of does that thing where he he kind of, oh, I got him doing the breathing thing again. Last week I breathed into this thing like the whole service. Try not to do that on the second service. And you guys, yeah, anyway. So, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, yeah, we're on the command to love each other. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. So John is saying something interesting. He's saying it's an old commandment, yet it's a new commandment. What's he talking about? Well, you know, we not to get too bogged down into this point, but basically it's the command to love each other. Leviticus 19.18 says, But you shall love the Lord your God as yourself. Jesus quotes that several times in the gospel, in Matthew 19.22 and Luke 10. That's the old commandment. Jesus expounds on this and says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love have love for one another. I think that's an incredible statement. We show the world, we communicate to the world that we love, we are of Jesus if we love each other. And John here is talking primarily about love for each other in the church. He's not excluding loving people outside of the church, but he's really focusing, and Jesus is focusing on the idea that it's a new command I give to you, love each other, disciples, love each other. Um, so that's the new commandment. This is my commandment in John 15. He also says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This first section is really all about Jesus, and it is really all about the church. It's about loving the church, and it, and it's, uh, you know, that's what it's about. And there's two other things, though, that are new when John wrote this. When John wrote this, the church was new, and the fact that Jesus actually finished the work. He finished the work in his life. He died on the cross. That was new to them. So, you know, this. I'm going to read this quote here. To use an analogy, the Christian community is the school in which we learn to love. Like great musicians who practice tedious drills for long hours, Christians practice their scales at home in order to sing in public. In the community, love is commanded and modeled. Here is where it is, must be lived out and practiced. This does not mean that love is limited to the boundaries of the community, but if the community does not live by the model and teaching of its founder, 
Jesus, how can it expect to do so or to hear its call to join them? A great question. And what I love about this quote, too, is the fact that Jesus, or not Jesus, this person isn't Jesus, but the fact that um, there's a focus on modeling that love in the home. If you're married, we're talking to you. If you're single, you know, if you have kids, uh, it, it's, it's a theme that should start there and then resonate out to the community. It's at this point in time that I think the word love kind of gets lost on us. I don't know about you, but I, we hear about love all the time. We throw love around. I love Snickers. I love Cheetos. I love the Seahawks. Oh, I, I love such and such. But when we get down to it, what do we really believe in our hearts that love is? I got some ideas that I'm just going to throw by you guys. And these are what I would call misconceptions of love that are, could be prevalent among us. Number one, love is only an emotion. This one really packs a punch, so bear with me. Notice I didn't say love is an emotion. There's a difference. To be clear, love involves emotion, and more specifically, love involves affections. I came across an excellent article written by a man named Matt Perman, and he points out the fact that 1 Corinthians, we've got it there on the screen. 1 Corinthians, I'm just going to read it. Love is patient. Well, let me see. Love is patient and kind. Love does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, resentful. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Endures all things. Love's never ends. And I don't have it in my notes, but I meant to focus on the first part. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, etc., you know, I have not love. We can do stuff for each other, right, that are not loving. How can that possibly be, right? we say to ourselves, apparently it's possible because Scripture says so. Um, as you use an example, let's just say some of, somebody comes up to you and says, boy, that sermon really inspired me today. It's my Christian duty to take you out to coffee this week. So I'm going to fulfill my duty, the commandment, let's have coffee. That isn't really, something's missing there, isn't it? What's missing is the affection, the genuine affection that's supposed to be there that's come alongside of it, isn't it? Jesus himself modeled this beautifully in his life, didn't he? Many of us know he did. You know, in uh, John of God, John's gospel, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his, the life of the sheep. He continues on, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Wow. This is a passage that gets thrown around in church a lot. But just imagine the life that Jesus lived. I mean, just think about it for a moment. We're here to worship Jesus, aren't we? Scriptures like that should make us pause. That's the kind of love that he had for you and me. He didn't have to, but he did. This is the kind of radical love that we're supposed to have for each other. For Jesus, he had both the will and the affections to love us, and he set his affections on us. Those are two elements, the will and the affections. Need to be married together, don't they? Point number two, a possible misconception of love. We ought to just love people who are easy to love. Just the people who are similar to us. You know, Jesus said this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Well, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I really have enemies. I Maybe I do. I don't know. But I have a lot of people that, I can't believe I just said that. I have a lot of people that maybe I don't like so much. And I think, I think that's what we're most guilty of is we have a lot of people that we don't like very much. And, you know, maybe they're sitting in this room. Jesus says, go the opposite direction. Jesus says to you and me, take them out for coffee and work it out. You know, if you don't like them, you know, deal with it. Why do you not like them? Some of us don't want to be around people maybe because they're bigger, faster, stronger than we are. Um... Maybe they threaten us. Someone once said, uh, I'll only celebrate someone's success as long as it does not exceed my own. And that statement is telling. Here's another quote. When we are honest with ourselves, some Christians are easier to love than others. We all find certain people less offensive than others, and as a result, we will gravitate toward those we consider lovable, but Christ does not call us to love only those easy to love. After all, he himself died for sinners. If we walk in the light, we must love all our fellow believers. Point two, or three, love never shows weakness. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. I was at the gym recently, and I was lifting weights, the bench press, and there was this guy, really big guy, and I was trying, I hadn't worked out in a long time, and uh, I go, can you spot me? And he said, sure. He's a super nice guy, and we ended up really connecting and talking a lot, and that's that was kind of cool, but... Um, one thing about weightlifting is that when you know someone's behind you, you can lift more. And I knew I was lifting more because he was there. 
our Christian life that we live is just like that. We can lift more. You and I can do better, go farther for the Lord if we have each other's back, if, if there's a closeness to one another. Number three, love never, oh yeah, I already said that. Love is just benign acceptance and never confronts. Wounds from a friend are better than a kiss from an enemy. I'd say husbands and wives model this pretty well. You know, we can get in each other's face. I don't know. I do know what it is. Why husbands and wives feel that they can tell each other the truth is because there's a closeness there. There's a closeness between husbands and wives. Maybe you have a best friend that's long-term, decades long, and you can really jump each other's stuff. You can really get on each other's case. I have a good friend who we've served that purpose for each other. We'll take turns just kicking each other in the rear, <laughs> so to speak. And, you know, it's maybe it's not very pleasant sometimes, but that's part of the Christian community. That's what it's supposed to be about also. Are we fostering that kind of closeness with one another? Do we just kind of keep everyone at a distance so that we can never have those relationships where we can be confronted? Do we just work really hard at looking like we've got it together when we don't? I think that's kind of an M.O. of being a Christian, if I'm really bluntly honest with you. I really do. I think as long as everyone thinks I'm just sort of okay and I come to church enough that, you know, I've fooled everyone when in reality, maybe I'm not walking the way I should. And we got to let people in. All right. Moving along in our passage, I'm trying to kind of not talk so fast. John writes in black and white terms. He does it often. He says in 1 John 2, 8b through 11, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I've never been blinded by darkness. Well, you know, it's kind of a play on words, isn't it? Because we usually get blinded by light, but darkness, I guess the only thing I can think of is as a good, Jim had like the best example last week of cockroaches and seeing the light and scattering. I can't really think of a good example other than I used to drive the bus too, and there would be many rainy Olympia mornings where I'd get up and I would take my light to do my pre-trip inspection of the bus, checking for loose lug nuts and checking for tires that you know, are still inflated, etc. And I couldn't do it without a light. Without love, we are in the darkness. 
darkness. We may not feel like we're in the darkness. That's the deception. You know, we may not feel like we're in the dark and we just go on and on about hating somebody or not liking them. And we're in the, God says we're in the darkness. John says we're in the darkness. I don't know about you, but I would rather be the, in the light. And he says there's no cause for stumbling if we are loving. It doesn't mean we can't stumble, but we've got some kind of advantage. This is definitely an indication. To go into a little bit more of other examples in the Bible that when light and dark are used is two examples. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 2 Corinthians 4.4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, we have to take love extremely seriously. There's, there's a seriousness and a graveness to love, according to John. Love is of the utmost importance, and we're barely scratching the surface together this morning of love. We have to pursue the characteristics of love. Set our will to learn how to love. And hopefully, by the Holy Spirit's work, our affections will come along. So, all right, we've talked about love. We're going to move on to section two, which is the description of the mature believer. I'm going to read this in a different version. Uh, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won the battle with the evil one. So what's John doing here? It's kind of an independent thought, a little bit. He is saying, he is pointing out and affirming, based on what I studied, the characteristics of a mature believer. There's a quote that I think is helpful, and it says, Like young children, mature believers should know their father and remember basic Christian truths, such as the forgiveness of sins. Mature Christians, like young men, should exhibit strength, in this case, spiritual strength, which enables them to overcome the evil one. This strength, verse 14 tells us, comes because the word of God dwells in them. You know, one thing about coming to church that is a little intimidating is that some of us are in different stages of life. Not only that, and that really isn't what John is talking about, different stages of life. He's talking about we're all at different stages in our growth with the Lord. We're all different. And I think that creates for some of us, myself included, a bit of an awkward situation. 
Because some of us really are very mature. And some of us, we just kind of know that maybe we've got some growing up to do inside when we get around certain people. I've experienced that. Um, Don't shy away from people that are stronger than you is what I'm getting to. Don't shy away. Take someone out for coffee. Send them a text and say, hey, you know, I need help with this. Can you hold me accountable? Hey, I need help with this. Let's get together and I can learn from you. And it's regardless of age. Regardless of age. There might be an older person who is new to the faith here. And that's humbling too. Um, a variety of different things can and situations can arise. Our maturity levels are different. Let's be okay with it. And let's affirm each other too. If you see someone walking who's mature, give them a pat on the back. John is modeling something here for us to do also. All right. Section three, we're on the home stretch. Do not love the world. Do not love the world nor the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Can't you just taste and feel some of these words? Uh, The lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. I think I can taste it in my mind because we are absolutely saturated with things. You know, we're absolutely saturated. We are in an environment rich with possessions. We're in an environment rich with so many things to distract us from loving God and loving each other. They're, they are everywhere. And Jesus says, many of us know this quote, easier to pass through a camel than an eye of a needle. I think Jesus was inserting some humor there because a camel is enormous and an eye of a needle is extremely small. We don't miss that. But look, the odds are stacked against us to live a godly life, you and I. Do you realize that? What are we going to do to balance the scales? I'm really glad, though, that Jesus, that the disciples piped up and said, hey, well, then who can be saved? I'm, I'm very thankful for that because Jesus comes back and says, well, with man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. You know, another thing that is a tone in here, I believe, and it's not clearly stated, but it's a matter of the heart. Where are our hearts being attached to? What is our affections being attached to? And I think you have to, we have to look. Where do we look? Um, And for each person, it's different. One thing that a commentator said is, unfortunately, worldliness can 
cannot be neatly packed into certain behaviors that the devout believer avoids. So one of us can enjoy something, while another, it is like a pure idol, straight up. One person can enjoy this, another person can enjoy that, and it means two completely different things in that pers- those two people's hearts. There's a moderation that has to take place, and I wish, you know, we could be like a spiritual doctor, like we could really see and clearly define what it is, but I have a few ideas. Perhaps we can look at time spent. Do I spend an excessive amount of time on this or an excessive excessive amount of time on that? Maybe we could look at our checkbooks. Do I spend a lot of money here? Do I spend a lot of money there? Points to a value that might be really out of whack for us. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We're easily captured by stuff. And I, you have to believe that if we are captured by stuff, it makes it that much harder to love each other. And there's no joy in these things. There really isn't. I don't know about you, but I experience the greatest joy when I actually obey the Lord, you guys. When I do love people here and I do obey things that God tells me to obey. All right. I got a question for you that Jesus asked his disciples early on in his ministry. He says this, very simple, very pointed question. What do you want? That was his response as one of one or two of his disciples came up to him. What do you want? What do I want? What is really in my heart? What do I really, really want in this life? Maybe you're here and you kind of don't know what we're talking about. Like church is something new to you. And maybe it's a little bit foreign. I can ask you that question too. What do you want? I can tell you this, you are at the doorstep of eternal life today. What do you want? Do you want eternal life? It can be had. You can choose to follow Jesus today. The call and the question is for everyone. What do you want? I think the battle for our hearts is a fierce and intense one, even if we know the Lord. I really do. I really do believe that our affections are captured constantly by things that are not of the Lord. I'm not saying I want, I believe the Lord wants us to be monks and just not enjoy anything. That's what is so difficult, isn't it? 
All right. I think I'm done. Thank you, guys. It's been really fun to share with you this morning. We got out of here a little early. It's August 1st. Summer's flying by. I love you guys. I want to pray for you now. Lord, I am just so grateful for my friends. I'm so grateful for the men and women that are here, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, help us to embody what love is to each other. Help us to do the fierce battle and the hard work of turning our hearts to you on a daily basis. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so we can be mature. In Jesus' name, amen.